Matt, how's it, bro? <laughs> You're live on the Matt Brown show. How's it going? Amazing. <laughs> Thanks. We were, just, we were actually just talking about Rail and Steve. How's it, but? Um, we were just talking about how uh, previous enemies might become your best friends and I was saying how from Liquid Chef's days we used to be enemies and now we actually do so much business with you and we've actually got a good working relationship. 100%. Ask, ask Rail uh, what he dislikes about you guys the most. Uh, Rail, what do you dislike <laughs> about us the most? <laughs> if I had to pick one thing. <laughs> you can only pick one. We're being nice here, but we're on, we're on camera here. Don't, okay. don't shame no. us. Hey guys, welcome back to the Map Road Show. Uh, this is the fifth year, uh, first episode of our fifth year. And uh, you'll notice we're in a different studio. Uh, we've now moved offices as a company and it's all been crazy, crazy, crazy. But, um, but getting on to more important things, uh, this episode was really, really cool. It's with Steve Kuzin and uh, Shai. Avian, they're the founders of Howler, but they've been together for the last two decades as business partners, and they've gone on to raise three rounds of funding and really develop a product, a ticketing product, an eventing product that um, is basically making a play for uh, the European global stage. Uh, we cover a lot of ground in this, so uh, please stick around. It's also highly entertaining, so without further ado, let's get on with the show. And we're live. Hey guys, welcome back to the Map Round Show. It's been a bit of an ordeal getting here today. Uh, with me in this, I'll tell you more about that in a second. But with me today is uh, Steve Cusin and Shai Evian. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Thanks Thanks for having us. us. Yeah. Eventually, get us going. Fuck. Well done. Sorry, man. I, it's thought, I thought you were a, a <sighs> podcast show. Would have your stuff. You would think I'd like yeah. 210 episodes into this, we would know what we we're doing. But it's like I'm doing the limbo here on the mic. Yeah, so I don't know if I'm above it or below it. You can be wherever you want, pal. <laughs> to your mic. <laughs> this is your first first podcast in this new office, right? Yeah, it is. It is. Thank you yeah. so much for that context. You see, Congrats. you're hosting. Yeah, thank you. So I yeah, see, saw they're arranging the flowers and the books. Yeah, I think it looks amazing. Well thank done, you so team. much. Well Have you read this team. book? It's yeah. a number one best-selling uh, book on Amazon. Here you go. I'll Maybe. sign a copy for you. Two copies now because there's two of you. Principles for half pack and chopping ears. Okay. Talk to the mic. You're sharing a mic, guys. So this, for those of you listening, the boys are sharing a mic because we've had technical difficulties with reproducing this entire show. And if you are watching on YouTube, uh, you'll note the cool new studio that we're in, and uh, this is a bit of a more permanent fixture. So we've had to lose the previous studio. Uh, so it's all start, brand new year. I've actually been quite quiet in the podcasting space. It is, in fact, being a Feb, and this is the first show. So very proud and uh, grateful to have Stephen Shy with uh, us today. So for those of you who don't know who the fuck these two boys are, um, be nice with the mic. You have to actually share it. So you guys are co-founders, <laughs> so you're going to have to co-found this podcast too with me. Um, but uh, walk us back. Uh, well, first, before you do that, give us the headline. Who are you guys? What do we need to know? Um, well, I'm Shai. This is Steve. Um, today, you all know us from a company called Howler, um, which is a, a business that we've been running for the last couple of years. Prior to that, you all know us from a company called Liquid Chefs. Mm -hmm. So I think if you look at uh, our two recent businesses, we are responsible for a lot of your good parties, a lot of your hangovers, good jaws over the years, really kind of changing the face of the entertainment eventing space in South Africa for the last almost 20 years. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. And what's your version of that? Is that what you'd put it to our audience as being the truth, or is there like a bit more to that? No, well, I mean, let's hope that you can remember uh, the liquid <laughs> chefs parties that you actually attended. I think most people get caught by those sweet cocktails, uh, the, the yeah. stuff that we put in there. The Let me tell you, the, the ladies, I mean, often I think they'd... Uh, <laughs> Sorry, what are you that. trying to say, <laughs> Sorry, I got I've my got tongue twisted there. Sorry, the ladies got me. <laughs> it's so funny. I've got to get a photo. Well, 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 Sorry. Well, Tweet well, well, maybe, maybe if you had two, uh, two microphones, mics. we wouldn't have to. I know, uh, I know, but it's so get a cute. Sponsored mic <laughs> in the next <laughs> it's so yeah. cute. Uh, anyway, sorry about that. I'm just having a moment. <laughs> so, like I say, we've been we've been on a journey together. I know we've there's been many partners that have come and go, and Shaga and I we've supposedly stood the test of time. That's it. Um, and yeah, I mean it's been amazing to have him by my side all the way. Um, oh, thanks, Steve. And yeah, and we uh, and around. We, we're, and looking, we're, looking, we're looking onward and upward, eh? <laughs> this now proud show. We're just spreading the love, you know, love. bringing out the love amongst co-founders. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been a, been a, yeah, we've had a good journey. I think if it goes back to uh, almost two thousand one, that's a long time, eh? Yeah, that's twenty years. It w- it will be well, it 20 couldn't be 2001 because I only matriculated in 2002. So let's say 2004. Really? Okay, well, Holy. Yeah. 35 now. Really? Youngster, eh? Fucking yes. so Maybe I'm getting old. How old are you? I'm 40. 40. So, mm. you, so you definitely uh, experienced a good part of uh, Liquid Chefs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I knew you were going to say that. Says, you know, <laughs> we, yeah, th- you know, we started that, well, I, I was one of the original founders there when I was uh, 19. Um, so you were about 24, 25, probably yeah. at Varsity. That's it. Um, and yeah, we were responsible for some serious parties. and uh, Yeah, it's like drinks. Liquid Chefs, the brand no one will remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably, yeah. No, but still, 20 years is a long time here. I mean, I, I can't even think about what day one would look like with a partner. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a hard thing. I mean, how did you... You know, walk us, go back to the beginning. Like, I mean, you're so obviously young to, guys. Like, yeah, you know. I will give, give you some background. Um, I, uh, I, I finished school in 2001. I went overseas um, and was uh, working in some cocktail bars there, doing what you do when you finish school, just go traveling and have a good drawl. Um, personally, I was very struck by the kind of cocktail culture in the UK. You know, you're talking about 20 years ago where there were no real cocktail bars in South Africa. Yeah, you were like tequila sunrises or kango bango blast or whatever those cocktails <laughs> were called. Um, but yeah, really kind of taken back by the kind of nightlife scene in, in London. Um, and when I came back to South Africa, I, you know, I wanted to get into, um, into the bars and you know, I had an idea to kind of open up a cocktail bar. But obviously, that was just a dream at 19 years old, just wanting to have a lot of fun and, yeah. and make cocktails. But, um, yeah, that, that kind of never happened. I, I kind of enrolled in varsity at Rao at the time, but kind of was still kind of struck by the, the cocktail culture um, and kind of came up with an idea. Well, actually, we used to go to Monsoon Lagoon. Remember that place? Mm. Uh, it was in Monte. Uh, Probably not. Just yeah, like liquid chefs. Yeah, so yeah. Big. And, and we, I remember we used to go to to Monsoon Lagoon at one of the draws there, um, and they had an ice uh, sculpture, like an ice bar top. Mm-hmm. Um, and we thought, you know, it'd be really cool if we could take a bar that looked as good as what you'd walk into and like take it to people's houses, or like, you know, bring. If we can't open up a bar, let's bring something to you um, and bring an experience um, um, to you. And that was kind of where the idea originated from. Um, we then uh, 
bumped into another mate of mine who was also overseas at the time and had come back and had also been kind of working in bars or restaurants and stuff. And we started talking and he had a very similar experience to me overseas. Um, and when we, when we got talking, he also mentioned about saying about this mobile bar business that he was looking at. And I was like, well, hold on a second. Called my brother. I'm like, what have I been telling you? For the last, you know, few weeks, he's like, I don't know, you want to fucking do this, like, mobile bath thing? I'm like, this is it, like, you know, l- let's get together and talk tomorrow. Um, mm. So, yeah, th- this was the first partner that we originally co-founded the business with, um, Liquid Chefs. And we just, you know, we had both had such an amazing experience in the UK, which we knew South Africa needed um, or needed to experience. And we thought, you know, we just need one event where we can showcase the skills or the cocktails that we had experienced in the UK. And I phoned up a mate of mine whose brother was having a bar mitzvah. And um, we said, can we come on Friday night and just make some cocktails for the guests? And it's like, yeah, no problem. And he spoke to his mother. And um, eventually um, they said, yeah, instead of coming for the Friday night, why don't you come and do the the main event, you know, a bar mitzvah, which is bigger, you know, a big event in, a, in the Jewish circles. Um, and that was kind of the... The beginning of how Liquid Chefs actually started. Um, fast forward about what two years ago? Yeah. No, well, I mean, no, two I mean, years ago. Two years on from well, there. Well, can I come into yeah, the story? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway, so Mike's loving so his name, bro. Give some context, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, can I come in the story? Yeah, totally well, make the share. From now on, in two years ago, brings out the best in people. <laughs> See, look at this conflict. I'm going to take the mic back. This is my interview now. You take that mic. So. Shad and I have been running Liquid Chess for sort of a year and a half, two years, and uh, I actually went overseas as well after matriculating from St. John's. I went to the UK. I was a GAP student, uh, well, student master there, so I coached first team girls hockey and uh, first team. And second team, and second team girls cricket, and second team boys cricket. I was going to say, I'm noticing a pattern there, bro. <laughs> a pattern. What the hell? And um, yeah, and I, I was over there, and obviously during the summer, I also spent a lot of time down in Sulcombe, and I worked in a cocktail bar there. And when I came back from London, I was actually in Durban, um, just down there on holiday, and I, I met met Shai and Tell, his brother, uh, and and they said no, they just started this business, and it was called Liquid Chefs, and they were currently based in Johannesburg, and they were looking to expand, and they were looking for employees and people to come and work. Mm. And I said, well, I, I've worked in a cocktail bar, I can make a cocktail or two. They said, great. We'll sign you up, come and work with us. And and it was amazing. From that point on, I was at Varsity. Um, I was at Wits, studying full-time at the at the time. But very quickly became part-time studying and full-time liquid chefs and very quickly worked my way up to being a manager. Um, and I just bought into the whole culture and everything that these guys were trying to achieve and what they were trying to do. Obviously, I had an amazing connection with the guys mm-hmm. that were, were running the business. I went to my dad and said, I need to borrow 500 grand. And he's like, for what? In first year varsity. <laughs> I said, a bar company. <laughs> I'm going to buy into a bar company. He said, are you joking? What, what? He's like, just focus on your studies. I said, please, I need the money. Can, can I do this? And I'd actually just actually smashed one of my cars before, so I wasn't really in the good books. But yeah. anyway, he stood by me. Bank account was empty at that <laughs> point. <laughs> it was always empty. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, he gave me the money, and I bought into the business. And it was, I mean, I was on a shelter, but I mean, I worked my way through the business, working sales and marketing, and it was just an amazing journey. I mean, we grew that business to like twelve hundred employees on the books. They weren't all permanent, sure, but sure. but I mean, like at one point, we were running the JNB Met as one of the one of the peak events. We had twenty two of the hospitality tents on the inside. I think we had like four or five hundred uh, staff working for us there. And it was just, I mean, there were 20,000 people all arriving, all like the most premium bar setups. 
I remember one of our um, one of the stock areas was a was a twenty by fifteen marquee, and it was just piled with like a maze of just coke and lemonade and soda waters, and it was the, the logistical plan of putting it all together. Um, and yeah, it was a it was an unbelievable journey. We, we all then thought this twenty ten World Cup was going to be an amazing milestone for us all. We were going to retire, and it was all going to be. Um, it was going to be the, the best thing. And, and about two, three weeks before the World Cup was actually starting, we were wondering, well, we've got a lot of business. And we had, we had scaled up. I mean, we had nearly one kilometer worth of bar infrastructure at the time that we were ready to send out. We had thousands of staff members ready to go. And we were two weeks before the event. And we said, well, where, where's, this, where's this massive thing? I mean, it doesn't look like we're going to retire. And, and two days later, one of the guys phoned us and said, listen, it's a, there was a guy who had won the, the tenders to do all of the fan, fan parks. So it was the Innisfree, Soweto, Rustenburg, um, and, and, and two in Joburg. And we literally, in the space of 11 days, had to pull together a team of like 800 people. We had to deal with ABI, deal with SAB. We had to pull everything together to literally get these fan fest off the ground. And it was, let me tell you, it was one of the most, yeah. one of the most challenging experiences, being able to pull it all together. And we were expecting 25,000 people at Innisfree and 40,000 in Soweto. And it was just an unbelievable experience being able to pull that and see the nation come together. Unfortunately, the security at, the, at Innisfree and, well, most of them actually let us down because uh, during that opening match um, when that first goal went in people stampeded the uh, they broke the fences down and in Innisfree a capacity of 25,000 people we had 70,000 get through the gates and it was just a disaster they shut the bars down and I think in our first hour we did like 1.5 million rands worth of beer sales in our first hour and then we were shut down I mean we probably could have retired if we had been able to sell but security came in police came in and they literally shut us down and it was um, it was just one of those one of those moments that you just remember. I mean, we were standing on top of the container, looking over the sea of people and vuvuzelas and flags of just people going absolutely mad when that first goal went in, yeah. and there was actually nothing we could do. They, they were blowing vuvuzelas in our face to to serve them beer, but the police were standing there with guns, literally not letting them in, and it was it was a. A bittersweet moment, and then the rest of the, the rest of the World Cup, it, it, it was great for us, but the, we didn't have the numbers that we were expecting the whole time, but it was a, an amazing So glad you came in on, on there. That was a great story. So that, that's what I describe as a champagne problem. You know, when you've made one and a half bar over the counter and you can just sit back and watch the you know, decorum unfold before you. That's pretty impressive. And the other yeah, thing... but I, I think we, that was a champagne moment and then it quickly became <laughs> nightmare moment. a disaster <laughs> which is very much about what it's like trying to do stuff in for events in, in this country um but uh sorry events anywhere like i've done loads well not at your scale at all like yeah. really really micro compared to you guys but i mean there's no do-overs no it's like you start gates open at seven remember the debacle that you saw here yeah. obviously you were quite so, probably yeah, we, looking yeah, at this we empathetically we, we, we were like, <laughs> i was thinking, thinking to steve remember that time when we had like uh, 40 devices and we had about 20,000 people about to come into the event. And what's the problem you were having? We couldn't connect any of our shit. Yeah, fuck, it's um, pressure. So I think <clears throat> just as Steve was talking about their story at the World Cup, I think that's one thing that, you know, we're, just, we're not afraid to, to get our hands dirty. And I think the, you know, the, the partnership that we've had over the years has really been about 
trust, you know, and just we, we, we get stuck into it. We're not afraid to take major risks. You know, the philosophy has always been, well, if it fucks out, well, you know, what did we have before this? We, we pick up and, and we learn from the mistakes. Um, then I've got onto this, uh, this topic right now. But, um, it's fine. It's a good one. It's a good one. It comes yeah. up all the time. So you're not alone. I will say though, what happened with Liquid Chefs though? Did you sell it? So. Did you morph it? Did you pivot it? No, what? so yeah, we, look, we had from 2001 to 2000, 2002 to 2010, I mean, we had an unbelievable, uh, journey. Um, we really, I think, changed the face of, of, bars and cocktails in South Africa, even to a large degree, even overseas. I mean, we still actually have uh, a franchise of Liquid Chefs running in the UK. Really? Um, they just ran the entire World Economic Forum, all the bars, um, at all the events there. That's now the, we did this, started in 2008. Um, so that was been going on for almost 12 years. Mm. Um, you know, I think we always saw a bit of a shift in, in the market, uh, in, in the bar market. And, you know, we had been doing events for, Nine years, I think we just were a little bit tired and we were kind of looking for what the next thing was. Yeah. Um, and kind of seeing the, the change in the market, you know, we're building up towards this, uh, this World Cup and our goal was to always downscale the business and then move liquid chefs more into a retail environment. When we talk about retail, we talk about fixed bars. You know, whatever uh, we had been doing okay. had always been about mobile bars. Um, and we, we then, we set up, uh, Liquid Chefs Rosebank. It was a cocktail bar in Rosebank. Um, and we had sold the mobile side of the business to one of the, co- one of Craig, one of the co-founding partners of Liquid Chefs. Um, you know, the goal was to always kind of spin out the, the mobile business and then, um, start growing Liquid Chefs more into the retail and start growing, you know, sort of a franchise. Um, or, you know, started rolling out a whole retail vibe. Um, Did you do that in the end? So we... Because I don't see liquid chefs in like Menland Mall. No, or, no. You know we, what I mean? Listen, we... Yeah, so I'll tell you that story. Um, we... <laughs> we got lots of stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm but, sure but, you will. I, I want to quickly... Yeah, so we were running liquid chefs and this was in Rosebank in the zone. And let me tell you, we had created a, an amazing culture. Um, uh, it was... Pretty kind of up and coming, um, uh, main market kind of crowd, really cool, hip, trendy, up and coming artists that used to perform at Liquid Chefs all the time. And we used to do a lot of events there. Um, and we were trying to sell tickets for one of our events. Uh, it was a New Year's Eve event, 2012. And we were looking for some systems to kind of help us uh, promote the event. And that's when we realized, okay, there was nothing really on the market at the time. There was just computer ticket and, um, Web tickets at the time, and we never landed up selling tickets or being able to do anything because we just couldn't get it done quick enough. And at the time, I remember, yeah, my manager there, Matt, he started looking online and he's like, you know, I found this other online t- ticketing system. Why don't you have a look at it? Uh, we had a look at it. We could see it was like a self-service um, B2B called a white label ticketing solution. And we're like, ah, oh, this looks pretty interesting. Let's, uh, l- you know, look to use it in the bar just for our own our own plans. Um and Liquid Chefs was cooking. Like we really, you know, we we were the laugh light, the, the laugh line of that Rosebank zone. I don't know if you know, you know, we, we signed in two thousand nine where they had these big bold plans. It's taken ten to twelve years for them to materialise, but the first couple of years were let's call it a bit of a mess. Um and we we were running the bar there and we now had this ticketing system that we were kind of playing around with and we're using to service our own events. Um, 
because of our history at you know from Liquid Chefs, uh, we had a lot of uh, mates or clients uh, actually were throwing events and stuff, and we said, look, we have the ticketing system. Why don't we look at using it? And at first, you know, a lot of guys were like, no, don't even come and talk to us. You know, this is what do you guys know about ticketing? Um, but very slowly, we started using this ticketing system for some very small events uh, in the in South Africa. Um, and we, what we realized is that in the South African ticketing space, even largely around the world, most of the ticketing companies hold on your ticket revenue um, until after the event. So if mm-hmm. you're putting on a big production... Um, Cricket does that. Well, yeah, they all do actually. Um, Cricket's a smaller player. Is that player, not what you do? No. So we went kind of to the bigger guys and we said, all right, well, we've got this ticketing solution. We will put it on your website, which nobody else could do at the time. And whatever t- uh, ticket sales happen, you will get the money pretty immediately. Yeah. And they're like, no, this is, where's the catch? You know, so like for, for big promoters like, Ultra, Raid, Rocking the Daisies, you know, who historically would have to finance their event through other means, we came in and said, well, we'll give you your money as the sale happens, which you can imagine for these guys are like, now this is... That's some, pretty cool. Yeah, I like know, my money now, thanks. Exactly, as opposed to waiting yeah. until after the event. So we started getting some traction um, cool. in, the, in the ticketing space, and what we then... Um, we were still operating at the bar in, in, in Rosebank, and our plan was never to kind of move into the ticketing space. We were really we were getting a, we had a lot of traction in Liquid Chefs and opening up other locations. Our plan was to go and re-sign another five-year lease in in the zone, um, kind of redo that up and then sell the first one and then start kind of like a, a franchise of some sort. And I remember in 2015 we went to go re- renegotiate our lease, not thinking there'd be any issues, and they just said, you know, we've uh, we're not we're not going to be renewing a lease with you, and we had been like. No, yeah, you're joking. Yeah. You know, we, we've been here for six years. Surprise. And, yeah, and, um, <laughs> and yeah, you've got six months to go and you've got to be out of here. Yeah. And that was a bit of a, a bit of a, um, a bit of a shock. Um, but at the same time, we had been building this uh, ticketing business. We started servicing some big clients like mm. Ultra and Rage. Um, and we thought, okay, let's, you know, let's focus on this. There seems like to be something going on. We'll, we'll look to reignite the bars at a later point. You know, that business is seriously taxing. Um, mm. you know, we really got to the point where it was running and that the thought of having to go all the way to the beginning and start that again was just a, a bit of a nightmare. Sure. Um, and that's, yeah. So to answer your question, how we, we pivoted or kind of where Liquid Chefs, you know, ended. It was, a, it was an evolution yeah, into um, that as opposed to I pivot. think back then we were, we were pretty heartbroken. You know, this was mm. a baby that we had, had developed um, and really we still believed had long-term plans, but, you know, just to kind of, kind of have it taken away from you um, and then have to restart from the beginning was, was pretty Were hard. you still in love with it though? I mean, uh, be honest with me. Were you really in Like, if, if I said to you, here's Liquid Chefs again, and then you go back 10 years and you think about all Look, the I sweat you put into that, would you have gone, I'm still in love with that type of business? To be honest, like that, I loved what we did for people in terms of the experience that we gave people. I believed we were building a movement and a culture um, that didn't exist in South Africa. And, but at the same time, what we've built today now with Howler, like it's, it's different. You, you, bro. It's, you can't, you can't even compare it. It's That's the, what I'm saying. It's the, like, it's, and, and 
in hindsight, you know, we hated Old Mutual, you know, because <laughs> they proper fucked us. That's yeah, our yeah. view. And um, looking back, it was probably the best thing that actually happened to us. Because yeah. what we've managed to build today yeah. in the short period that we have is like chalk and cheese. Yeah. It's interesting that because um, I, I always talk about the two types of problems that you solve as an on well, that you t- typically solve as an entrepreneur. Those that are in your control and those that aren't. And the ones that are in your control, they're easier to, to, to pallet as opposed to, you know, an old mutual or whatever or whoever comes along and then takes your runway away. You know what I mean? That, that leaves a sour taste in, in your mouth. And typically what I find happens is the on, or an entrepreneur will look at that, that problem as you guys did and then they will go, uh, this defines me yeah. or this defines us. Um, and, you know, I actually believe that everything is always happening for you. Yeah. It's not happening to you. It's only happening to you because that's your perception of the thing, of, the, of your experience, if that makes sense. So you have to find that that shift and the, and a way to shift your perspective, whether that's through mentorship or th- through a partnership such as yourselves. As I'm sure, you know, you had many hard, hard conversations around this. What the fuck do we do now? Well, we got this thing. I mean, it was making money. It was, you know, it was different. You spent 10 years doing this thing. If I look at our whole career, has been pretty has been developed by taking opportunities and you know not being afraid if any of them fail. Um, I think that really, you know, even throughout Liquid Chefs, we did things that we should never have done at the age and with the experience that we had. And you know, every every part of the journey, yes, looking back at the time, it was like Jesus, how are we going to pay our bills at the end of the month or whatever it might be? But it really it it has. You know, we've gotten to this point because of that journey, and I think that um, we really do always look on the lighter side of things. You know, we don't let you know disasters set us back because we've had plenty of disasters. You know, and enough to kind of sink people and like just mm. where you just not. Uh, yeah, sorry if I jump in there. I mean, yeah, it, it literally, yeah, co-founder, get us, get us. <laughs> so I mean, it, it literally it, it injected a new lifeline into us. We were there, we were um, motivated about what we were doing, and it came down to a case of corporate bullying. We we literally a competitor of Liquid Chefs ended up coming in and taking a space and in the lease agreement. Anyway, it was a technicality. They scoped us out, but we had this little business. It was starting to take a bit of traction on the new ticket side, and. We said let's let's give it a let's give it a go and and as Shah said I mean some of those clients they really they stuck with us um, they, they, they believed in us as people we went to them with a new technology never had sold what we had sold fifty thousand tickets um, on the system and most of them were probably comps at the time and we went to some of the biggest festivals I mean Rocking the Daisies is one of the biggest mm. ones that we we signed at the time um, and and we managed to to get them over the line and 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 we really and that really put us on the map. Um, yes, New Tickets was a white label platform, so the brand of New Tickets isn't as well wasn't as predominant as what Howler is. We've now kind of shifted into more being a consumer facing mm-hmm. um, element to obviously bring the value for event organizers and consumers. Um, and and then it, how that business then also evolved is we we had. The, the expertise that we had in the liquid chef side and managing bars, managing um, stock, managing money, all of that in the informal environment, if you want to call it, is not, not being in a fixed location. So like at the JMB Met, you set up a tent, you then put a bar there, you then have to manage cash, you get thousands of rands coming through there, you've got stock management. All of those elements, we, underst- we understood the inefficiencies 
of a, a system like that. And, and that then started us looking at how do we actually bring in a cashless solution that's going to help us. And if we've got the ticketing side, all of the events that we're doing, they're going to be selling drinks, they're going to be selling food. Can we now capitalize on that and actually introduce a cashless solution? And we actually went with new tickets down the road of actually developing an online Solution. It was a QR code based system, which every customer, their ticket, basically they could load money on that QR code. We would then have iPads or iPhones um, at all of the bars and food vendors, and the customers would go and spend the money that they'd preloaded and topped up uh, with any of those outlets. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was it was the the first of. A cashless solution in South Africa. Yes, there were there were others operating at the time. They more ran on the banking rails and they were kind of traditional point of sale systems. Where ours brought a new dimension of giving each of the bartenders an actual point of sale system for them to ring up, use for stock control, um, and it took cash out of the system, which is is where kind of international standards were going, and it was our kind of local version of it. Okay, I think just the without having had that experience in terms of running bars. Would have, wouldn't have known what the, the challenges details. Yeah. that uh, event organizers yeah. and our companies, you know, we used to solve those problems ourselves. Um, I think as you were talking, something just came to mind. Oh, do tell. No, when you're talking about, um, like, I think what's, what people don't realize is in life or in business, um, you're going to have, you're going to have problems. Nothing ever goes smoothly. You might end up pivoting, pivoting your business and, I think maintaining relationships is like... Oh, it's mission critical. You know, and you never realize at the time, even if it's... Because you never know at what point you might be pivoting, going around the corner, and now you've got to actually you know, deal with or talk to someone that could have been an enemy of yours in the past. Mm. Um, you know, and it was funny that you were just uh, going on Insta looking at... Yeah. Uh, Real Lazarus. Uh, and, yeah. and it's so is, funny that we, we actually work... We've got a very, very good working relationship with him now. If you'd asked us back in what Liquid Chef's days, we probably... Because I kept... It's Thirst. thirst. Yeah. thirst. thirst it's a mobile bar company. Yeah, so, I was they trying were, to fucking the, Google the thing. The, they were the leading competitor of Liquid Chef's. I mean, the two of us were head-to-head all the time. And we had we had many run-ins together. I mean, even the case where I think there was a couple of box-ups between the two. Literally. Great. Let's phone him. Yeah, it would be amazing Let's too. get him on the show. And it's quite funny that we, we've got such a good working relationship with him now. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I think to think where we were and where we are now, um, we, we've. But, but yeah, it's a classic case of. Is this, sorry, is this phone know, connected to this Bluetooth thing? Uh, sorry, sorry, Ralph. Next time, guys. Technology. Um, <laughs> be lang funny if we just stalked him on the phone. Yeah, we should find him. We can put the. the we are, exactly. We uh, can actually. Yeah, should I phone him? You phone him. Yeah, let's phone him. Just tell him, you because know, you know what? Funnily enough, you said you got a two-week-old uh, kid. Yeah, he's also he's. Well, yeah. I don't think newborn now, but he's he's yeah, he's also got. So rail, yeah. So I ran into rail at uh, Restretos. Yeah. Do you know Restretos or Fravonia there? So he's had his little kid there. My kid and you know my youngest and his youngest are running around. It's been like funny. So while you're calling him, what were you saying about? So you had run-ins with rail, right? Let's set this up. No, I wouldn't say. Look, well, we were, you said we, you were boxing yes, the ex. Yes. I mean, we were competitors. Like, competitors. Get your story Competit- straight. Yeah, competitors are always going to have uh, a bit of rivalry, and I mean, always. Uh, and and we actually, the, the teams that we were creating, the. How's it going? Uh, Rail. How's it put? How are you? Yeah, okay, you. Yeah, all right, eh? Um, You're gonna have to talk for me, Rail. Okay. It's Matt Brown. Matt, how's it, bro? <laughs> <laughs> You're live on the Matt Brown show. How's it going? Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. We were, just, we were actually just talking about Rail Steve. How's it, but 
Um, we were just talking about how uh, previous enemies might become your best friends, and I was saying how from Liquid Chef's days we used to be enemies, and now we actually do so much business with you, and we've actually got a good working relationship. Hundred percent. Ask Rail uh, what he dislikes about you guys the most. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up, it's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. Uh, Rayo, what do you dislike about us the most? If I had to pick one thing. thing. You can only pick one. We're being nice here, but we're on on camera here. Don't don't shame us. No, nothing, bro. You guys are awesome. I don't don't dislike you at all anymore. (laughs) Anymore, at least we we agree that we didn't used to like each other. This is totally, I'm loving this. This this would totally be a a new segment. Uh, Just ask, you have to speak for me because he's not, Key down here, but just ask Rail uh, what um, what he's learned about becoming friends with your competitors. Should you or shouldn't you? Um, Matt asked, "What have you learned about becoming friends with your competitors, and should you or shouldn't you?" Uh, I think you can uh, create a good working relationship with your competitors, and uh, it's always good to keep your enemies close. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I agree. Thanks, Rail. Uh, Shot put. Cheers, eh? Ciao, ciao. No, that was cool. This is going to be a new segment. You have to call it. What, what should the, we call it? Call you your guys. enemy. Yeah, frenemies. 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 You've got to phone your competitors straight away. But, uh, but I, actually, I actually, well, two things. You built new tickets. New, well, yeah, I know it's Howler now, but it started as new tickets, and it was basically taking out the inefficiency in a space that you knew. And that's, um, I would say, is a very big reason why we're, we're so successful is because of the same thing. We, we're removing crazy amounts of friction, uh, of, of friction and inefficiency in, in tech companies' pipelines. And uh, it's not even the return on revenue they get. It's like all the unquantifiable stuff that they you know, need to put into a balance sheet at the end of the year. That's that thing. And then also, when you niche down, which is, I suppose, to a lesser extent, you guys, because it's ticketing, so it's ticketing for anybody. Well, yes, we, we, or did you, no, did you so pick a niche? No, well, we started off with ticketing. I think what's important today is we're not a ticketing company. What are you now? We're an events company. No, we're not what an events company. A either. tech company. We're an event technology platform. Okay. Right. Um, where we consolidate a range of different problems and solutions into one platform. You know, so everything from ticketing, which is one component of it, access control, cashless payments, vendor management, ticket insurance, event insurance, like we really provide a whole host of solutions via technology 
to event organizers to ultimately really help them create amazing events. Mm -hmm. um, and we, again, by listening you know, to customers and what they're looking for has, has been how we've kind of progressed it from just being yeah. a ticketing solution to, to, yeah. so, to the headache that we have today. <laughs> So exactly, we go back to the competitive thing because I just want to okay, close sorry, out the okay, real cool. conversation. No, it's good, it's good. Um, it's all relevant stuff. But, you know, I've gone to meet our biggest... Com uh, to be honest with you, at the end, beginning of every year, this time of the year, I go and interview all of our accounts, our, like the, the businesses that we're married to, essentially. And one of the things is, you know, who do you regard as alternatives to us? And out of 12 clients, none of them could mention a single name. We don't have competition because we're so different to everything else. Um, but occasionally you hear a name here and there, and over the last year there was one. I'm not going to give you any PR yet. But, um, <laughs> but basically, let's just say we went to go and see them. And we said, hello, we're eating your lunch. Uh, when you're not a competitor to us, but you work with some customers who we'd love to have. So tell us what you do. Here's what we do. Here's how we're different, whatever. And it's actually the first reaction, though, is like, I don't want to talk to my competitor. I don't want to. They're, they're, they're evil. They're, um, it's, it's me against them. And you're in the scarcity mindset. You feel as if there's not enough to go around. They can't be, like, it can be only us, you know. Um, and it's actually not true. It's actually, you know, first, I, first loser advantage, first mover advantage, you know. Those are very real things, you know. And so it's necessary to have competition and if anything a competitor simply validates the demand for the thing that yeah. you're trying to sell i'm not saying it's the same thing but certainly the the liquidity in the market is there and if it's there all you need to figure out as you guys have done is what do we need to build sufficiently so that it's sufficiently different in order for the market yeah. to go hey you guys are number one you know what i'm saying yeah, I, th I think the, it's interesting because we've had a lot of interactions with all our competitors uh, especially because when we first came into the ticketing space we were licensing a product from the uk you know so we started going down the road where we started getting some serious traction in south africa and we were now like okay what do we do here either we we um partner with an existing company that's got uh and developed technology locally with them or we look to flip this business sell it and kind of move on you know that was like in the early stages it was one of our ideas is you know look we've made some headway let's go flip this and sell it to a bigger ticketing company and then find the next kind of story um and we went to every ticketing company i mean i don't need to name locally, them. locally yeah. everyone and we're like okay we're building something and which you guys are not doing at the moment. Um, we are licensing technology. We're paying stupid uh, royalty fees. You know, surely there's a way. Let's rather come together, you know, take the experience that we've had, the client base that you guys don't have. You're servicing a specific market. You've got technology. Let's just do this together. And every one of them, we went down quite a road with a few of them and it just landed up, you know, a deal never being done. And I think looking back now, like the, what we could have built with some local partners would have been a whole different story to, to what we have today. And I think even back to rail, our, you know, and, and thirst back in the day at Liquid Chefs, you know, we, we were like, oh, those are our enemies and now we can't talk to them. We must do our thing. Let's take them out and go and mm. I'm going to eat your lunch story. And actually, you know, especially in new industries when you are like the f first movers, so often you're afraid to talk to your competitors because you think, you know, they um, are out to get you or whatever. Or they're going to steal my exactly, whatever, whatever. Like, yeah. Especially, I think in a in a in a um, in a new market where if actually people collaborate more, 
you know, there's so much better, bigger dude. opportunity because yeah. all you'll end up doing is competing, price goes down, mm-hmm. you know, where which is a race to the bottom. Exactly. And, and if you just actually, you know, put your ego aside and, and mm. we're both trying to solve the same problem, yeah. well, let's just do it together. And I think we would. So that's know. the hello, take a lot. Yeah. I mean, God, we spend a fortune on that bloody site. Um, and that was, it was Superbalist. Yes. Um, and then who, oh, I can't even remember the names now, Justin Jenin would know. Do you know Justin? Yeah, I know Justin. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. everybody knows everyone, yeah. That's why <laughs> I say don't build bridges. You know <laughs> yes. what I'm saying? Um, yeah, so Justin, yeah, I think there were like f- three or four, three, even five. Yeah. He was Fossil super, Ninja. Yeah, but, he was super, yeah, but there was like three companies. And anyway, but now Take A Lot owns the entire e-commerce yes. space. Like you ain't going to come and take their lunch. And their, and their customer experience is great. It's, it's really rad. As you said, Shai, it's like, you know, they came together and said, right, either we're going to like own the small slice of pie or we can share the big pie and have the jam in the middle of the donut with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and there's so much you can learn. And by the way, we went to, we won Africa, um, Africa's yeah, best tech that. startup well somewhere done, around here. Yeah. Where is that award? Behind you. Oh, there it in is. In our face. See, no, I don't even know where stuff is. <laughs> I've been watching. It's like it's moved like five <laughs> times today. Thanks Q. Um, but, um, but you know, going, we went to London tech week and the, the collaboration in Europe is insane. It's like, well, you they're, have to. They're like, come look at my shit. Yeah. The, the, you know, like, look at this AI product. Look at this. Look, and, and it's necessary as a community of technology evangelists. So, Oracle, IBM, Microsoft, SAP, they're all working. I wouldn't say they're married to each other, but they're but happy they, but to they share. They work with each other to yeah. grow the market, right? Exactly. And, and, and it's, we see the same thing in technology, in the venting space, in Europe, and all. Like, so why is it not the same here then? I think because in South Africa the market is so small. Like really, I think well, that, I was actually it's, ask it's you really about niche, that. and I think there's, you know, yeah, I just think like at least in our space, it's a very small market, and to make proper money, you either got to own the market or look at other avenues, you know. Mm. And that's where our philosophy was always: let's try and own the market with other people here, and then we grow in, in mm. other spaces. But when you look at uh, Europe and like just the integrations that they have with each other and it's a much more open mm. open market. Yeah, I also think that in the in the European market, a lot of the ticketing companies will actually work together. Well, not really work together, but there is an exclusivity over there. So a lot of uh, event organizers will go and list with four or five uh, companies where I think traditionally, based on the CompuTicket model, they've always had exclusivity on their, on their shows. So they wouldn't allow any other companies uh, ticketing company to then sell alongside them which would then has naturally progressed into every other ticketing company that's been established in South Africa has always been on the it's either us or nobody and no one will ever collaborate and get together and try and because if, if you actually look at the ticketing companies that are out there a lot of them actually deal with a different a different clientele altogether I mean mm-hmm. there's cricket going for the long tail of the market there's us that are going for the sort of the festival large event space ticketing and cash there's, there's CompuTicket who obviously legacy systems what and are going, they doing I'm not quite sure. I don't know anyone who likes them. It's <laughs> like get your tickets at Compi Ticket, and then there's a collective sigh. And yeah, no, yeah, and so it is, and and I mean they they still have a big market share, and I think it's their legacy of them uh, having having retained the old clients and locking clients into long term deals, and obviously they're backed by their big brother of Shoprite, and but unfortunately they've lost one or two competition commission cases, so hopefully they're going to be yeah, put back see, in their place. But that's soon. why you guys must come and eat their lunch. You know what I'm saying? We, 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 but we, you we, have though. But we, the other but thing. But so, Sorry, yeah. dude, you, you have actually niched. You have no, niched. We, yes, we have. You we have had niched. To in South Thank Africa. you so much. Um, but the Cousin. 
<laughs> my cousin. <laughs> but I, I also think the reason why there's less collaboration is because in South Africa, it's this is still a new market. What's a new market? No, I'm saying like you know ticketing well, or events. Ticketing events um, is. Jesus, I wouldn't call it new. When I say new. Definitely from a technology perspective, only in the last five to eight years have um, a lot of these new companies been coming out. And in the beginning, you're always trying to protect your lunch. If you look at what's happening in Europe, and there's so many legacy and, you know, the market is so much more mature than what is, is in South Africa. So I think they probably also started in the early days where no, you know, mm. no collaboration, where it's just, you know, they've got to a point where they realize rather work together than if you were in South Africa, we're still in that space where people are too afraid to work with each other, I think, because it's mm. still a niche and a, and a small market. So I have, a, I have a thing, a question for you. So looking, I mean, maybe you have the answer already, but you mentioned the, the, the thing around the market being very small here. Um, and that's okay, you know, when you're kind of cutting your teeth and figuring out what you're about and, and eventually you get to product market fit. And then that's kind of where we are. And you know you reached it because your customers tell you they're billing more than once. Um, that's pretty much when you know. Um, and then, um, but then looking after that, you're kind of saying, well, then how much runway do you have? Uh, not runway in the sense of like financial cash flow, but I'm talking about like growth potential. How much, let me be clear, growth the potential. Tam, the, the Tam, the Tom and the Sam, what's the Tom? Yeah. 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 <laughs> where, Sam, where, the Tom and the Sam. Are you like, <laughs> <laughs> Tom, Sam, Tom was one. This is a segmented addressable market, the Tam, what the? Where's yeah. the fucking tap that <laughs> when you open that yeah. shit, you're going to get Just, minted. You know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Like right. you're going to start playing with the big yeah. boys and suddenly you're buying companies and it's a different game entirely. Well, I, yeah. yeah. Are you asking so, me a question? Yeah, I'm Okay. There, yeah, sir. I take my time with things, That's you know fine. what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Only on the Easy podcast, though, otherwise, I'm impatient. <laughs> but, um, but it's like, um, do you feel that how do you? And this is a scale of our question because I'm also looking at it going, well, we've done what we've done, and we've done, we've had exponential growth in the last year, but now what next, you know, and for how long? Because for me, if you can't double digit growth a thing, the market can move, it can die, you, you, and then you're responsible for 50 families and suddenly you're like, you're the deuce with unemployed on your forehead. You know what I mean? Because you haven't seen the opportunity, you haven't been aggressive enough to explore it. And, and I'm saying for you, it's different to me and the same thing for you. And that's the complication thing with partnerships. So I just make decisions. I'm like the, the dictatorship here. You guys have no, to be no, yeah, like no the democracy, way. you know. Yeah. But, um, but for me, I can see where the growth stops. I know that, you know, we'll probably most 50, 60 million, maybe 100 if you… Revenue. Revenue, yeah, yeah, yeah revenue. Um, and for me, that's not okay. Like, it's not okay. So, what are you going to do about it? Well, yeah, well, that's why I'm, I'm moving to America, basically. Okay, are you? Yeah. Legit? Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's pretty So, cool. now we're setting up board of directors, and I'm looking for an MD, and we've, you know, documented all of our processes. We're building our own tech, and we're building something that we believe will be competitive in another market. So, but again, big question mark. Is it really, you know, yeah. and what are they prepared to pay for? So, I'm going there in May to go literally go and hello, Tell us, tell me everything, how you do business. And it's just purely an R&D effort, yeah. discovery effort to see whether you're actually relevant at all. And my other thing that I also know is you can't copy paste it. You can't, yeah. you know, you, the, the only thing you can, because you're, we're a blend of services and technology. The only thing that you can truly scale is technology. 
So you have to focus on that. So I know that when I get on, whenever that date is, the US are busy processing the green card and all this stuff. But I know that when I get off the plane on day one, right, whenever that is, in a year from now, 18 months from now, six months from now, who fucking knows. But I know I'm not selling a services business. Do you understand? Yeah. And you guys are in that space no, we, I mean, where you know it's about the platform. It's always been about the platform. And maybe there's some ancillary services, but primarily, as you said, you're a, a, a ticketing platform, a technology platform, right? So, so that's the thing that you scale. So, I mean, are you looking? Are you? Do you have the similar sentiments? Like it's like, well, it's not big enough. How big is enough? Yeah. Like, are you hungry to go and mix it with these dudes in the UK? <laughs> so, it's, one at a time. It's, it's funny you uh, you mention this now. Um, you know, we've, I think for the last few years, we've always had big dreams. Um, I think as we've grown, we've seen what we've done in South Africa and we're like, why can't we do this on a, on a bigger scale? Um, you know, fortunately, we've been involved in a number of these kind of accelerator programs where they really, you know, drill into... Um, oh, you did those things? Yeah, we've, we've done a few Which of them. Which ones did you um, We did the Barclays Techstars Accelerator. Oh, you actually got into that? Yeah. That Why'd they let you in? Because we're fucking cool. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? God damn it. It's amazing. It's all you got to do. Come on, man. Um, Don't even have AI in that. So that you know was... <laughs> That was 2017. Then we were one of the F&B innovation finalists in uh, uh, 2018, which took us on the Endeavor program. Uh, um, I did a program in San Francisco. And it really teaches you like to think big. Um, Who runs Endeavor again? Endeavor. No, no. Oh, the uh, guy. Um, it's a local program, isn't it? No, it's, uh, yes. It's well, it's an international program. I've got a local office. But it's Investec. Is it the Investec? Uh, RMB and oh, FNB. Oh, RMB. Oh, okay. So, so, so yeah, so I mean, part of that Endeavor process, and just when you were speaking about going to the States and, and doing stuff there, I mean, we obviously went over with oh, this. You did do it? Yeah, so we oh, went okay. to the program. We chose it. We, we made it through the local in selection panel, which was the F&B Innovator Awards. We were one of the finalists, and as a result of that, we then qualified for the ISP, which is International Selection. And that they took us over to San Fran. Well, we went over there, and now you meet all the big dogs. And I mean, you're literally going from what you think is a big, a big fish in a small pond. You're going into a whole other world. I mean, we went in there with the question mark of do we want to be an international business or should we just try and dominate South Africa? I mean, we got there. And number one, well, we actually came back asking the same question. <laughs> but but one one of the things that we realised is we were going there looking for sort of three to four million dollars. Um, and I mean they bloody laughed at us, and we, they were like three to four million dollars. What do you? I mean, what like they wouldn't even waste their time. The deal fee is more than three to four million dollars. They said come back when you're looking for between fifty and a hundred million dollars, and then you're actually talking. And I mean for us, it just it just put into perspective what we're talking about there. And they've got we we were actually in the giant stadium. One of the interviews was in the giant stadium in the boxes and they were sitting there and they were obviously talking about the numbers that they do in the stadium and we were saying oh we can come and do ticketing and we'll do cashless and they were like listen let me tell you all very well that you think you can do it in South Africa the states is a whole nother world it's a whole nother ball game the numbers you're talking I mean they'll fill that stadium up three four times a weekend it's just yeah, it's, and, and I mean it, 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 it really gives you perspective in so you said yes so we said right. we'll try and do it <laughs> so I think that what was very I remember in one of the interviews that we have that we had one of the guys said what you have is an amazing you've got a lifestyle business which is great you can have a you know you can build a business you can live a good life out of it but you need to decide whether you want to build a real global business and if you don't want to that's fine you know and you put in the same position right now where you've probably got a great business here 
but it's not enough for you. And, but you could probably live a great lifestyle. Very comfortable. Um, exactly. And South Africa, we can, yeah, we live a great life here. So you're not um, fucking good at this mic management. Sorry. But, um, he's leaning into you. He's, he's, he's like, like, he's he's like, like <laughs> when, we, when we came back. Jams the fucking devil. <laughs> when we, um, we actually never got through to the Endeavor internationally because I said we didn't know. What you wanted. Yes. And we're like, fuck, we came here. With that, with that question, because it's all, it's all about when you have an inflection point. And we went there like, are we going to focus on Africa? Because there's this big African dream Unknown. and story. Unknown. And, you know, and we've been doing events in eight African countries, but it's been an absolute nightmare doing these events. Or should we like take our product, which is tailor-made for big events, festivals, and there's hundreds of them in Europe, all over the world. Just South Africa is so small. Um, and we... we, we yeah, we came back with that kind of question and we're like, you know what, let's just pick something and go with it and we'll see where it takes us. And do, we actually have just, um, we've just acquired a business in, in Europe, mm. um, which was actually one of our suppliers. Uh, and we'll actually see us now servicing some of the biggest events in Europe, in Portugal, in Italy. So you're in, doing it? We're doing it. And we're like, you know what, we're going to take a risk um, and we'll know very quickly in the next you know, six to eight months whether... This is something that's going to pay off. So you're doing it now, basically. It's the yeah. start it's of happening it. happening right, right now, yeah. now. We, we I mean, signed the deal in, in December. Jesus, um, it's like the ink's not even dry yet. No, no, <laughs> it's not. And like now we're playing in the big league. You know, yeah. we're talking about events. Isn't that fucking no, exciting? No, Would you have it any other way? No. Well, I'm, exactly. I'm, so yeah. you, then we're the same in that sense because like, I, like I'd rather say I fucking went for it yeah, then, then exactly. like played it safe and did the lifestyle thing because quite frankly digital kung fu is not a hair salon do you know what no, I mean it's not a lifestyle yeah. business so I don't actually agree with that person or that no, statement well, I, think, I think it had the propensity to be whatever you decided it to be yeah. so the label was actually relevant you just had a business that had you know to your point it could either be this or it could be that no but a lifestyle business one that you could just live off sure no, no I understand and, that point yeah, 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 yeah. but I, I hate the fucking label you know what I mean? Because the business will only grow to the extent that, that you, you want do. to grow it. Yeah. If you don't decide that you want to have a hundred million dollar business, not rad, because then it's never going to happen, and you'll never know. And then you, when you die on your deathbed one day, you must look at the the inflection point and be happy with it. Or if you decide you're going to remain a lifestyle business, right? Yes. Then what if I think it's not big enough? It's like it, it has to be TBTFW, too big to fuck with. And if you don't fall into that category, then it's not big enough because you don't, ha- for me at least, I can only talk about my own experience. I want to build a monster business. I don't care yeah, what well it takes. You need to get so, out of South Africa. Yeah, but this is what we're doing, yeah. right? So, and you know, and you know what? If America fails, so what? Because I'm the same thing for you because I didn't fail. It's a business. Businesses fail every day. I founded 10 companies and six of those failed. You know what I'm saying? Told, sold a couple. Yep. Um, but I'm okay with it. And that's the lesson that you were talking about in the beginning about failure. You know, But um, to your point, America, it's like, uh, the, look, it's okay to feel fear. And I'm scared <laughs> about America because I know if I go there, right, you always paint, you, you give yourself 100 reasons why it won't work. You know, my mentor is literally a billionaire, and he was like, Mm-mm. he's like, ex entrepreneur, smarter than you, bigger businesses, more cash, got the ass handed to them. What makes you special? You yeah, know? this is it. And that's you literally the thing. The so you have to re, and the other thing also is like, it's not a care. Listen, 
again, it's the tech thing. So there's my situation is there's a lot of work that needs to happen until it's like, okay, this is kind of where we, we think it could be. But, um, but there's so many unknowns around it. And it's like, for me at least, I phoned a, a friend of mine who runs a PR uh, agency in New York. And I said, so what do you spend on like media? She's like, well, what do you mean media? I was like, well, look. And I explained to her our products. And I was like, lightning strike, you know, media, this, blah. And I explained the whole thing. And she goes, well, probably $250,000 just on media. And I said, is that like, is that the top end or the bottom end? She goes, no, no, no. That's just what, you know businesses spend small and I was like so if you pitched up and you went you know you want four million rand the equivalent of and they would just be like yeah social media only can for always on content not even pipeline so yeah, just, so that size that market you can't size you can't just, fathom it's it it's like level. so this I'm like fuck so basically to 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 as an example we would literally take our current price point and put a dollar sign there and then maybe a 20 percent premium because if you're different enough hey the market there is so huge and so competitive. If you can make it there, it's like it's retarded. And the other thing also is if you say, if I sold one of those things, it pays for this company for the, the OPEX of the entire thing for months. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because resource is cheap here. Yeah, I think that's the other thing is if you can afford to keep your business here and, and you know, because that's one of the other advice that we've been given is like, cool, if you want to go expand into Europe or other territories, that's amazing, but just make sure – your home base is, is protected. Yeah. You know, so that's, um, and, and we believe that if we, uh, to your point, you know, things are cheaper in South Africa to do. And if we can make a mark in Europe or another territory and keeping our base covered by our business in South Africa, then that just becomes. Yeah. Um, you don't want to kill yeah. the golden goose, basically. Yeah. And, and actually, quite, it works quite nicely with, especially with the European events. I mean, we've just come out of our season now, which ran from September through to December or May, Jan. Um, so we're going out of it now. And the European season will start now, May, June, July, August. Um, and and, and it's, it just works perfectly. Our, our ops people thought they were going to have a nice six month break, but <laughs> little do they know they're getting on a plane and they're flying to Europe for, for some amazing events. And yeah, I mean, it's been an amazing journey getting to this point. Yes, it was a, a decision that we had to make over December during our busiest season. I think uh, New Year's Eve was like 260, well, not New Year's Eve, but in the last 10 days of December, we did 268 events around the country, managing some of the biggest New Year's Eve events, all ticketing, cashless. Um, logistically, we had like it's over 1,000 yeah. staff so members. So much cash in that. And, and, and now we've, we've built it to a point where we've now got scale. Um, sorry, we've now got, the, we've now got the volume here in South Africa. And we've also built our own technology. We've built up a development team of over 14 permanent devs that work for us. Um, and, and we really now taken our product to what we think is the next level and we want it and we believe it's internationally competitive and we're going to take it to Europe. And obviously we've, the, the business that we did acquire over there has now given us an in to some of the biggest festivals. They had existing contracts with some of those mm. festivals. So there's, there's, there's going to be 13 events that we're going to run over the, over the season there. And if, if we make it, we make it. And, and like a few of those festivals, Festivals like those thirteen festivals could be the equivalent of the turnover of all the two hundred and sixty-eight yeah, that we did just over the New Year's period. So it's uh, it just it really it, it rings true. And it, we actually were sitting at a strategy session before this, just talking about growth and scale. And I mean how like we've grown up until now, and now it's the point where we really can scale. We've built the building blocks and the right foundation for us to launch off into the European market and really go and service the events because the automation and 
everything that we've put into the system will really allow us to actually get to that mm. to that next level. So, just to just to wrap up on this growth versus scale thing, I actually wrote about it in that book there that you guys are going to read hopefully if you find time in the next year. <laughs> you don't even or need next book year. Version. I got an audible. Audible. Oh, yeah, maybe. Actually, maybe you should get that one instead. <laughs> Probably be easier. Yeah, the five minutes, <laughs> you know, that you have in the car to yourself. Um, but you know, you have to decide what you want. And it's what you said, Shai. It's around, well, it would be okay if it was a lifestyle business. But it literally is okay if that's what you want for yourself. But you have to decide, well, you said growth versus scale. And it's literally the term that I use because you have growth businesses and scale businesses and they're different things. I know you asked you guys in the beginning, have you taken on investors, right? So I'm petrified of taking on an investor. But I also recognize that should we, you know, let's just say scenario A is that we develop something quite interesting around pipeline management that's even augmentative to Salesforce, right? Or one or Microsoft Dynamics or does something that I know what we're doing here is completely different. Well, but can we chat? Because we, we would love to use yeah, that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, we must chat. Fail. <laughs> so, but look, I mean, but like I, I get very excited about it now if I start talking about what's coming in the next sort of 12 weeks or so, 12, 16 weeks. But um, assuming that the market even feels that it's different enough, right? That for me is just so exciting. It's like growth is, is almost not enough today because you can build these monster businesses very quickly. The economies of scale are there. You just need to decide that that's what you want for you. And it's a, it's a hard one to wrestle with. It comes down to why, partners and stuff like this. You know, young family is another thing. You know, if listen, what are you going to move to like Amsterdam? You know what I mean? And you're going to phone Shy on like Teams. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> What's up, Shy? You know, and you never see each other again. You know what I'm saying? Or it's three, it, it suddenly becomes quite complicated. And I was, and because I, I think it's easy. And also the other thing I'll say, it's, it's not about the number. I want to make that clear. It's not the number for me that motivates me. It's the curiosity and the hunger around the, everything else about how you get there. Does it make sense? Yeah, I think for us, and I speak on behalf of us because we're... Well, you're a couple now, you know. <laughs> you're married at the hip, literally over there. <laughs> but it, it also is not about the, the number, you know. It's like, w w what's that number that you're chasing for? It's really about just doing something fucking amazing and, like, really trying to do something that we never thought was possible and, like, to go and take on the big boys in Europe or, you know, wherever it might be. Like, that's the challenge that, we, that really gets up, gets us excited. You ask us what keeps us up keeps us up at night and it's you know how do we take this business and, and go and really compete on a on an international level and it's yes we know that money will follow if we do if we continue creating you know a great business and platform and service and all that stuff at some point it uh, you know there should be something mm. at the end of it to to pay for uh, our families, I don't know. School, school, school fees. fees. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've paid a fuckload of school <laughs> fees. We've paid a lot. <laughs> yeah, but exactly. How more. many kids do you have? No, I've got none. you got none? No, no, Just no, living yeah. the dream, eh? No, no. LTD. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. So uh, let's, uh, let's wrap this up. So um, what would you have done differently? If you cast your mind back, as a, even you talk about in terms of your partnership working with each other or maybe we'd never taken on investors or, you know, we should have done more of this or none of that or whatever the case is. When you, when you think about those sorts of uh, things uh, and you go back 20 years, what would you do differently? Very good question. <laughs> Which I You're welcome. <laughs> this is episode 200. <laughs> <laughs> Which I haven't actually, ever, like I haven't thought about, uh, I haven't had to think about actually. Um, 
and I know it's cliche to say probably nothing because like you know what's gotten us to to where Wouldn't we are today. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'd probably say one thing. So we turned down Jonathan Bear as an investor <laughs> when we were 19 years old. Sorry for you, bro. Yeah. Maybe we probably... How old were you? 19. 19. Yeah. yeah. So that oh, was eight yeah. months uh, into... Uh, yeah, we had to go... We actually had... <laughs> this is a terrible story. But we actually had kind of come to an agreement and then we had a disagreement in our partnership um, with uh, back in... The, Back then, you mean you two and Jonathan? No, no actually, no, no. this was it's before Steve. Before was involved, okay. yeah. There were three other guys, and we had a split down the middle, and we had to go back and say thanks, Jonathan, but we're not interested in your money right now. Um, it's not money, bro. I know, <laughs> well, whatever like, it is. But um, it's like a, I don't know what it is. It's got a whole different. So level. I think to that was a story that something that just came to my mind now, and that rings to like being listened to your instinct, you know, and just. Uh, really fighting for what you believe in because I think there were many I've, personally I've had many t- experiences or um, opportunities over the 19, 20 years that you know sometimes if I don't think I was really kind of um, uh, almost kind of sat back and let other people make decisions or board. yeah you know it didn't really like I don't know what's what, what so you're you you making up for it now. Hey, is that why you just yes, bully exactly. us in our in our shareholder meetings? <laughs> but but, <laughs> no, but, but are like, you saying you weren't objective? You know, I, I just think that we. Um, I don't know what I'm really trying to say. Um, <laughs> you want to uh, jump in here? Yeah? I don't know. No. I don't know. You can't speak for you. Why not? Basically, <laughs> you should have taken the money. You would have taken it. No, but I'm saying. Okay, so that was a specific in, uh, situation where. You know, we let other people uh, make, make a decision yes, for you. Yes, we actually yeah, okay. should have stuck to my instinct and guns. And mm. you know, I think you just and yeah, be a, be responsible for those decisions. Um, well, he's yes. not. He's still around. No, mm. we're still here. It would have been a different journey. And yeah. actually, we we funny enough, we, we chose not to take the money because we felt at the time that we didn't need money. We were like just you know, not even a year in the business and what we're going to do with a bank full of money where this is a service-based business. And, you know, he spoke about, no, but you'll meet Colin Cowie and Oprah, Oprah Winfrey and all these people, which actually a few years later we ended up meet meeting them, anyway. servicing them ourselves and doing <laughs> no. these things. So, okay. um, but yeah, I don't know. Well, it's See, a diffi- what do you have to say? It's a difficult... What about, what about you, dude? What would you do differently? No, I mean... I think as Shai said, it is a cliche to say you wouldn't change anything. But I mean, we've been on this journey and this journey's kind of directed our path and we've had our ups and up and downs. And yes, I think there's small things and minor things that you would you'd go back and say, oh, I should have done this or I should have done this differently. But that wouldn't, that wouldn't have landed us up where we currently are. And I think we're fortunate in a position to have a good working partnership. We've got an amazing business. We've got an amazing future ahead of us. Um, I think we're an amazing country. Um, and yeah, I think the, I think to have changed anything, we, we might not be sitting here with you and your new offices with this newly signed book. Uh, so, I, I, like, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm forever grateful of, of the obstacles that's, that I've had in my life. I'm forever grateful of the opportunities that I've had in my life. And, and I think these are the opportunities. And I think it is the struggles that you go through is what you make, uh, is what you make of them. And, uh, and, and you actually bring – and it brings out the best in people. And I think that's where – I think that's what's got us to, to where we currently are. Um, Just on that, the word struggle – if you, so I want my next book is all about the premises is struggle. So when I was doing talks around this, this first book, um, you're in a game. I was, I used to say in, when I think in radio, whatever I'd say, you know, one life's one big problem and then you die. So you must figure out what problems light you up and, you know, 
you can find fulfillment in because that's basically all there is. But you're sold about the dream and actually it's the nightmare that you should be looking for. It's the struggle that you need to find your value and your point of difference and things like that. Um, so going back to the Jonathan thing, if you had taken that money, it would have been a different struggle. You understand? Yeah. But it's still a struggle yeah. because for me, the one reason I won't take, well, I say, I say today, only knowing what I know today, but I wouldn't take money because I don't want to be, I'll, I'll never work for anyone. You know what I mean? And, that, and it's funny because you're still the CEO, but you're not. You now are working for someone because they want 10, 20 times their money back. So do you want that struggle or do you not? I think it's been quite unique for us. And I think we, we went down the route where we weren't just looking for money from people. We were looking for money from the right kind of people. And I know that's always weird to say because... I mean, there's always, and, and even when we were part of Techstars program, there were so many investors that came to us and said, yeah, we're willing to invest, and we went down the route, and at some point along the line, obviously, the train just fell off the tracks, and that obviously meant that either party weren't really into it, um, and we've been fortunate now to have closed our second round now um, with investors that really are there because they believe in us, and they believe in us as people, they believe in the product that we've got, and and, and it has, it, it was a, yes, we, we feel burdened to them, like we owe them, and we owe, and if we, if, if we fail this and fuck this up then we owe it to them but it's actually it's our own lives they're investors because they've got it they've got boodles of money and they don't know what to do with it so they want to give it to people that they believe in to make them more money but if we fuck it up we're going to end up with nothing so the then you knew where they lived right <laughs> yeah. but yeah i mean i think the it's it's great to have investors i mean i would employ you to go down the route we learned so much by See, that just, I would do. just engaging with the investors i mean the first time we went through the textiles program we had to put a deck together and a a pitch deck and a this and a, mm. and then your elevator pitch and all of these things you don't really think of and it doesn't put you through the paces. I mean, we only put our first proper budget together a year and a half ago. And now sick. we actually can stick to a budget and we've actually got proper financials that we can look at and, 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 and it's, and, and they're reliable. And, and, and it's like, amazing. And it's amazing. And like we, to think of it, and that's what you are as a startup business, you do everything, you try everything and you just kind of go from day to day and make sure you can pay your bills. But when it gets down to having someone to actually report to, it really forces you to put the structures and things in place mm. and, and that's been a, a blessing for us yes the money we've needed technology is exp extremely expensive as you know um, well I mean, if you're going down that probably the, not the, as much the, the as you know, route. But, yeah. but yeah, I mean, the developers that they cost us an absolute fortune, but that's where the value is, and that's where the future value. And with by developing the technology is going to be what allows us to really scale this business. And the investors have enabled us to do that. And we're very fortunate to have investors that are here that believe in us, and that they're just saying, "You, you run the ship, you do it." And if you need the guidance, then then we're here to support you. So I would I'd implore you to actually go down that route and. We'll I will introduce you to I will do that. To I'll it. totally. <laughs> no, but you know, I know loads of guys that have raised cap, capital, right? So, and you know, it's fine for you if you want. If it, if you're not you as a business, I'm going to get ten twenty back yourself. Then it's almost what's the point? But um, but everyone I know that has gone through this due diligence process where they're looking up your skirt and they're you know really getting into the business end and then the strategy and what's your expansion plan and. Who is your customer really? What business are you really? What category are you really? And so, as you say, there's a couple of things there. One, you become clearer, actually, on what you are and who, what you represent. But also your financial education goes through the roof. It's like there's no degree that you're ever going to study that's going to get you, you know, uh, conversational in that due diligence process. It's everyone I know, Mike Stopforth, like a bunch of eggs. I've all said the same thing. It's just like a PhD in financial education very quickly. Yeah, I think the the value that you 
that you learn about yourself and the business when you go through that process because all of a sudden you're now getting asked questions that you've actually never even thought about, think yeah. about, you know, and you the that whole journey you learn a lot about actually what you're trying to do and how to articulate it better and who are the right kind of partners that you need. Um, so it's uh, yeah, I agree with you. Like mm. you know, we've done three raises now. You know, we don't have any financial background. I mean, I, I didn't finish varsity. Steve did a marketing you know degree, um, and we've Impressive. managed. You know, we've managed to to put together some serious uh, you know plans and forecasts and budgets. And but it's a learning experience. I think mm. the that's we we here to learn and. Um, I agree with Steve. Uh, you know, there are the right investors out there, and just don't take the first person that's prepared to throw money at you. No money's the same. Yeah. That is the truth. Because I don't want the money. I can get money anyway. No, it's yeah. I it's, want the network, the expertise, and as much and as as much as they do a DD on you, you need you to must do DD. Equally yeah, do totally. a DD on them, and they got to share the same. Yeah. They got to support you, not tell you what yeah. to do. You know what I mean? And like, otherwise, you can get into a world of pain, managing buyouts and all sorts of. Funky stuff written into yeah, your Yeah, because I mean they put they put clawbacks and they put all those crazy things that we have to go and Google afterwards yeah, <laughs> in, exactly. the, in the documents. And obviously they have to protect the investment, but there's also like they need to believe in you. They need yeah. to believe in the people that are running the business. And if they don't, then I think you'll very quickly put pick that up. And yeah, if they're just looking for a return on their money and actually don't you care know, about you, you can see it. Yeah, you can yeah. sniff it out as quickly as they can sniff it. Yeah, <laughs> guys, let's wrap this up. Cool. Why do you do what you do? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Because every moment matters. Oh, so succinct, so short. <laughs> it is. We, I mean, we get a thrill out of people having the best time. We get a thrill out of people attending events, having the time, like the, experiencing those moments. And it's just, and, and we want to, and we want to empower that. And, and we want, we obviously love going to parties and stuff ourselves. And we want to, pe- we want people to experience more of those moments, not waking mm. in queues at the bars, not be in the toilets or Is that like w- your positioning line for Harla for every it, moment, yeah, every it moment? Is. is it really? Yeah, Fuck it. <laughs> Why did I know that <laughs> that was true? Oh, Oh God! But I think it's more than that. I think it really speaks to you know we give a fuck about people having a good time and and experiencing life. I think that's you know uh, we live in such a hectic day, modern world, and events are there to help you escape from that reality or connect with people or insp- get inspired. And yeah, we get out of bed to help you know event organizers make their dreams come true and. Um, uh, help people have a good time. We like to have a good time. If you see us at an event, come have a drink with us. We had a good time here. Fucking yeah, great fucking time. Great time. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. It's just pretty about this mic. Can we just get another one next time? We'll get another one. All right, guys. Thanks cool. so much Thank for being on the show. Thank you very much. Cool. Thank cool, you. guys. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Matt Brown Show, guys. Don't forget, you can catch me on all social media platforms for the latest updates, news, and a show history. So if you've been catching this on the podcast, please head on over to our YouTube channel and pound that subscribe button. It would be great to catch the video version there. And if you want a free copy of my number one Amazon best-selling book, You're In A Game, for free right now today, you can grab that on mattbrownshow.com forward slash ebook. 
Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients, Haiku, went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.